So if we could grab seats. All right. All right, so here we go. All these incredible classes that are being offered today down this hallway on topics, interesting topics, dynamic topics, all these great classes, and you come here to the marriage class. So I think there has to be a reason for that. I'm going to take it as you're turning yourselves in. But we're turning ourselves in too, right? Right. So, so we're excited that you're here. I'm Brian O'May. This is Aaron Jackson over here. We are on staff, region leaders of the Northern Virginia Church of Christ. We're excited to be here with you. I literally didn't know how many would show up, and you guys all showed up, so that's awesome. How many have been married for less than a year? Yeah. Oh, baby. Okay. Okay. You have made the right choice, brothers. Your wives convinced you, and you are here. How many have been married out of zero to or one to five years? Okay. Okay. We're still learning. All right, young man. Way to go. Five to ten years. There you go. The 10 plus club. 10 plus club. All right. All right. All right. So we got something. We got some of everything. The good news is we're going to the Bible. We're going to talk about marriage, and it's good for all of us. It's good for all of us. There's an there's a old saying. It's, it's said to be a Chinese saying, although it's probably not. May you live in interesting times. And this was quoted, kind of comes over the ocean from, from Britain from the 1890s during a time of uh, real transition and, and, and cultural um, uh, uh, transformation and change in the industrial world. And then again, it was resurrected in the 1930s uh, in a time of tumult really leading up to what became uh, World War II. And the idea is that, you know, interesting times aren't exactly necessarily what you ask for because it, it represents times of change and times of, and, and turmoil. And I think we do live in interesting times uh, in this world where sort of the rules are changing or they seem to be. And we got to keep our eye on the ball, and the ball being uh, the Bible. I heard, um, you know, a sister was sharing how she lives down the street from a birthing center. And forever in the birthing center, there were two choices. If somebody could close the door, that'd be awesome. There were two choices, boy and girl. And so, you know, every time there's a baby, there's a sign that says, it's a boy or it's a girl. And now they've actually started printing a third sign, which is, it's a baby. And it's for those parents who want their child to choose. Those are the interesting times that we live in. And so really the topic is we're talking about marriage today, and it's really for all age and stage for all of us is really we're focusing on the, on the concept of roles, roles in marriage. And this class comes out of a book. Um, the book is called Rocking the Roles. It's by Robert Lewis and William Hendricks. And so if you, want to, if you like sort of the ideas that we dig into here, you can get that book and go into 
uh, more depth on it, but it really is based on the whole idea of roles and the way that, that God has designed roles in so many areas of life, certainly in marriage, and when we find our role and understand each other's role and come together in God's designed way, it works uh, in an awesome, awesome way. The book talks about three sort of uh, ways that the world looks at marriage or sort of three choices on the menu uh, for marriage. And one they call the transitional marriage. And the transitional marriage is the one that sort of the idea and the definition changes with the times. And so we want to find, you know, in this model, what's the cultural sort of understanding uh, of marriage? And, and really, the cultural understanding of marriage today primarily is don't. You know, you can have relationship, you can have family, you can have all this, and you don't even have to get married. And that's more and more the choice sort of out there in, in, the, in the culture. But it's this idea that, that, you know, marriage, like everything else, is shaped and directed by um, culture. And so it's kind of like when you're watching sports now, you know, whether it's a football game or just about any game, like they stop every other play. Why? The previous play is under review, <laughs> right? And right now, marriage and roles is under review in the transitional model. By the way, spoiler alert, don't choose that one. Okay, so that's not what we're here to talk about. Then the idea of the traditional marriage, and the traditional marriage is, is this idea of the marriage that goes back to sort of the 1940s and the 1950s, um, and, and it's also shaped by culture, and that's the important thing to understand. You know, this model of, of you know, the father is the one that sort of you know, goes out and has the job and the wife is the one who stays home and just takes care of the kids. Of course, everybody's happy all the time because it's TV and it just works. Um, but that's the traditional marriage and we need to understand that that too is culturally based. And the one that we want to choose off the menu is the third, the biblical marriage. The biblical marriage. And maybe some of it sort of fits the traditional model, but some of it will be different. Probably as we look at God's design, that's what we're here to look at, God's design for marriage and for male-female relationship uh, in marriage. And why does this matter? It matters a lot, right? One, it matters to just our own uh, well-being and happiness, right? For those of us who are married, it's just hard to have a great, happy life uh, when marriage isn't going well. It's really important to our families. A, a lot of us, uh, probably have children and and the number really the most important thing that we can give to our kids in parenting of course number one is a strong walk with God but the second most important and valuable thing that we can give in our parenting is a great marriage is a great marriage so it's important why does this matter it matters for church the spiritual health and impact of the church starts in the home that's the mo the Bible model and so we understand that church starts at home and our spiritual health and our bodybuilding in the church starts at home. And lastly, life. Life is busy, busy, busy. Uh, it can pull us away from this core, core relationship. Some of us, myself included, are becoming empty nesters. And so now all of a sudden, what you have together really matters. And it's not all about doing for the kids and running a schedule uh, that's driven by the kids. 
So um, Aaron is going to come up and talk about the husband's core role in the marriage relationship. And after he comes up and talks about that, I'll spend some time talking about uh, the wife's core needs. And those are really the main sections. And then Aaron will close us out. So Aaron, why don't you come up and share with us? Good stuff. Well, uh, my name is Aaron Jackson. Um, I've been uh, married for 12 years. And uh, we've been together dating and stuff for 15 total. Uh, we have two little girls, seven and five. So we're one in that stage of life where, you know, we're not empty nesters, so we are uh, adapting to the kids' schedules. And I heard that that gets a lot more difficult the older they get. So amen. But we're not there just yet. Um, but while we were dating, we really held to the standard, um, uh, or we really wanted to have a goal for our, our relationship. Like, what's the purpose of us being together? And what, one, of we, one of the things we had was our, just our own kingdom goals and our own kingdom dreams. And while we, even while we were dating, we held each other to those standards. My dream was to be an elder. So we literally went through and she would, in our conversations, would bring up like, okay, is this what an elder would act like? And I would be like, oh man, that, that's not, because this is what I want to be. And for her, it was the Proverbs 31 wife. Um, and whenever you know, we have our time together, uh, I'd be like, Does that, is that what the, the Proverbs 31 woman, would she do that? And we held each other to, to that kind of a standard because we wanted, we knew that our relationship didn't exist just for itself, but that God had a greater purpose behind it. Uh, so that's something we've always uh, strove to do. And the other thing we always strove to do was really just to, to serve and to really be in partnership. Um, like I said, you're going to hear this theme uh, throughout my little talk here as we talk about the role is that the, our relationship doesn't just exist just to exist. But God had something for us to do Amen. together and we wanted to serve and we've spent from dating all throughout our marriage serving in different capacities. And I do believe that that's made a huge difference on uh, on our marriage relationship. Um, but in order for... Uh, like Brian started with, just the, the way the world views marriage is that it's a joke and that it's optional. But that's not how God designed it. So we need, in order for the marriages that the world needs to see, we need to be running on all cylinders. And part of that is us as men serving in our role, the role that God has set before. So let's explore that. Our role, if you haven't noticed, if you don't know by now, is we're called to lead. Our role is leadership. Um, turn over your Bibles quickly to 1 Corinthians, thir 1 Corinthians 11. So you thought I was going to go to 13. I gave you that impression. 1 Corinthians 11 here. Verse 3. Paul sets us up here in terms of uh, his view of, of headship here. It says, uh, now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. Now, we may be familiar with what's about to come next, but it starts here. The head of every man is Christ. And then as it goes on, it says, and the head of every woman is man. So as we know, we're called to lead and we are called to be the heads of our wives. But we do that with the understanding that we are under the lordship of Jesus. We're not called to our own kind of leadership style or the leadership style that we saw growing up. Uh, from our parents or our father, or our father figures in our lives. We're called to the leadership standard of Jesus. And if we're going to be a great leader, that means we need to be great followers of Jesus. 
And if you don't follow his example, of course, your marriage is not going to last. Turn over to Luke 22. Let's see what kind of leadership standard Jesus had. And then we'll work out uh, a few practicals, uh, a few key words um, that, that really define leadership. But in Luke 22, I'm going to read verses uh, 25 here through 27. It says, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Leadership does not mean lordship. You are not the Lord of your wife, nor should you have any expectation that your wife just obey every whim and desire or decision that you make. Because Jesus is called the Lord. And if you have to pull out the authority card, and I'm sure many of us have at some point, you know, you get in the argument in the <laughs> you're in the moment and you're like, I am your husband. If you've done that, you've already lost, you know, you, you, you know, but there's a difference between authority and your positional authority and influence and having influence. If you haven't read it, a great book on this is The Servant, uh, a story, a little story about leadership. Um, but when we use our authority you can make someone do something, but you lose their heart and you lose them. But influence does not need positional authority. It doesn't need positional power. Influence is that coach that you got that just motivates you. And, and because of how they pour themselves into you, you're ready to run through a wall for them. That's influence. And this is the kind of leadership that we're called to have to be the kind of husbands that lay down our lives in such a way that our wives want to follow us. They will follow us to the ends of the earth if we ask them because they know that we're laying down our lives for them. Amen? Amen. Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. We are called to place our wives before even our own lives. When we think of the extreme situations, I mean, how many of us would, would gladly step in front of a bullet for our wives? We'd lay down our lives without, okay, there's some hands that didn't go up, but I'm assuming that your heart, your heart is there. There you go, okay, amen, you know. Some of you just knew that it was a setup. So how come we're willing to take a bullet for our wives, but we're not willing to take out the trash? Or we're not willing to stay up late and talk. But we're willing to lay down our lives, right? But we don't realize that it's in these little ways that is laying down your life. And I think because of that is because we don't see leadership the same way that Jesus did. Because, like I said earlier, maybe the things that we saw at home from the father figures or the fathers in our lives, but we have to redefine 
what leadership looks like according to Jesus. So let's look at a couple few, uh, a few key words here. Uh, the first key word that we're going to look at in terms of leading, a husband leading, the first word is consider. Consider. Did you know that the Bible teaches there are only two ways, only two things that hinder prayers? One is sin, and the other one is living in an inconsiderate way with your wife. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If you make decisions apart or without your wife's consideration, you are shooting yourselves in the foot. You got to consider means to have knowledge of. It means to have enlightenment. It's where we get that idea of studying our wives and being students of them. To lead her, you must consider her. Amen? Amen. The second word is wash. In Ephesians 5.26, it says we are to wash her, wash her wives with the water of the word. That means you got to be talking about what you're learning, sharing lessons, sharing the things that really impact you. And maybe even talking through questions you have and really wrestling. And guess what? Your wife has the Holy Spirit as well. She can even help you work through some of these things. But all of these, are, they're, they're part of washing her with the water of the word. It's keeping the Bible on her heart as well as on yours as well. And along this vein, having weekly discipling times with your wife. We've learned this from the McKeans. Just a few questions to ask that we ask every week. Um, as a couple, one, how are you doing personally? Just how are you doing? Then we talk about how are you doing with God? So how are things going spiritually for you? And then, of course, this is all reciprocal. You know, you ask the question, you answer the question. But how are you doing personally? How are you doing spiritually? Then how are we doing? How are we doing as a couple? Then fourthly, how? How are we doing with the kids? As, I mean, as a family, is there anything we need to talk about with the kids? And then we go through schedule and finances. But this is all part of washing with the water of the word, knowing what's going on in her life and her knowing what's going on in your life. So first word is to consider. Second word is wash. The third one is protect. In Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman. My first question when I read that is always, where was Adam? Where was he at? We've heard of absent parenting, but this is an example of being an absent husband. Now, how many of us are those absent husbands? that are leaving our wives in the same position that Eve left, or that Adam left his wife Eve in? Was Adam so distant that he didn't even know the snake was talking to his wife? I call that being physically absent, the physically absent husband. And maybe it's your work taken away. Maybe it's your focus on the games or sports or whatever it is for you that's making you physically distant from your family. And I understand there's situations that you can't handle that if you're on a deployment or there's different things like that. Okay, amen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the norm. Amen? amen. But is he physically dis absent? Or 
Was Adam close enough to hear the conversation, but too aloof to recognize the dangers? I call that emotionally absent. And Brian's going to go a little bit more into detail about some of these emotional you know, needs and stuff. Uh, but I just want to cover that in terms of we can't be absent, absent husbands. Amen? we got to protect our wives. And let me say this firmly. If you are not meeting the needs of your wife, you are leaving her vulnerable. You are being absent. And she is, and Satan, believe it, Satan's going to go after her. Amen? Another one here is vision. Vision. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no revelation or vision, people cast off restraint. Adam and Eve were given work to do. Their work was to, to take care of the garden. But you and your wife were also given work to do, to build the kingdom. That was your work. But work, what work has God given you and your wife to do? What are the things, the convictions, the abilities that God has given you guys? That he expects you to serve in, in these kinds of ways or these kinds of capacities. I firmly believe that couples who work side by side have less issues and are in it for longer haul than those that are just sitting around just being married and focused on each other. Serving together. One is you're spending your time in action and you're focusing on other people. You don't have time to focus on each other's stuff. That's a good thing. When you look through church history, the divisions that happen in church are what happens is when the church gets inwardly focused. The same thing happens in our marriages as well. So having vision of, okay, let's have conversations of what is God calling us to do? What's God put on your heart? This is what God's put on my heart. How can we serve? Priscilla and Aquila worked alongside each other, and they were commended by Paul. It was a Priscilla and Aquila who sat down with Apollos and explained the word of God to him, to him more adequately. When was the last time you and your wife were in a Bible study together? Or even helping out a couple, but you the husband and her the wife? This is what we're here for. And God wants to use you as a couple to impact this world. But we got to have the vision for that. Amen. The funny thing is you can bring the kids and the kids just think it's a play date. It's awesome. You know, another word here, partnership. Leadership doesn't mean that you do everything. I want you to think about this. When you think about your company or the way it's set up, could the higher-ups, could the CEO of your company do your job? For Well, it depends. You may be the CEO. I don't know. Um, but when you think about it, the higher-ups, they're not expected. They probably can't do the specific detailed job that you do. And that's just because that doesn't mean you're better than them or that you can all of a sudden run the company. It just means your role is different. Right? They let you focus on the things that you can focus on so they can focus on the other things, the bigger picture. And the same thing is true in our marriages. It doesn't mean that you have to do everything. That doesn't mean you're leading. For years I thought that, okay, my wife, 
I got to be the one to do the finances. I got to be the one to organize the kids stuff. I got to be the one to do all of these things because that's what it means to be a leader. And it was burdensome because some of these things my wife's just better at. And the, and the time that it took me to figure that out, it was in the discipling that I got and Priscilla and Aquila, they work together, you know, in the conversations of, OK, well, let's let's figure out these things. Let's figure out our dynamic. And that's freed us up to do even greater things because my wife can take care of some of the things she's awesome at. And it frees me up to focus on the things that I'm awesome at as well. Amen. So we got to figure that out. And for some of you guys with insecure wives, you need to help your wife discover what she's good at. And you may need to encourage her and help and get the sisters involved to, to really build her up so that she can take on uh, some, some other things as well. And then the last thing here, the last word that I'm going to touch on is enjoy. Enjoy. Have fun. Ecclesiastes 9.9 9 says, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. Marriage isn't this drudgery thing, and that's what the world thinks. It's like, when I get married, then all the fun stops. There used to be an insult when I was a young Christian, you know, or when I was a young married, you know, for someone to say, you done got married and got old. You just sitting around watching Netflix in the house, and, and, and I was like, what? No, uh-uh, you know, and we crashed dance parties, we're young marrieds, we were at the teen party, there's a party going on, boom, we're there. Campus, yep, we're over there. Singles party, yep, we're there, because we wanted to do stuff, we wanted to be around, you know, but have fun, enjoy life with your wife. It goes on to say, all the days of this meaningless life, it's Ecclesiastes, remember, yeah, yeah. this meaningless, meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all of your meaningless days, and I read this, because this is the reason why the world believes that marriage is worthless. Because their view is under the sun. But we have to show them something different. To inspire them. To show them that marriage, God's way, is very, very different. So to close out here, brothers, our main role is to provide leadership. We provide leadership by way of being considerate. Of washing. Of protection. Of having vision. Of partnership. And enjoying our marriage. Now Brian's going to come up and talk about the husband's poor consent. Come on, Brian. Okay, so husband's core concerns, the flip side of that coin is our wives' core needs. Because our core concerns really need to match their core needs. So that's sort of two sides of the same coin. So to get us started in this, I want to go back to that 1 Peter 3 passage that Aaron shared, but read it in a different version. So this is the ESV version. So let's track with this one. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So the way that we get this in the SV version, this idea of living with our wives in an understanding way, really understanding who they are, that they are created differently than we are. They're cut in a different form. They have different roles. So our job is to know that and to know them and to reach them where they are. Now, it does say that because, you know, as the weaker vessel. And I like the way the book that draws that out, this idea of more like fine china, you know, delicate and valuable. 
That's a great way to think about our wives as the weaker vessel so that we can protect and cherish and, and, and strengthen and build up in the ways that Aaron was, was talking about in our role as hun- husbands. So <laughs> have you ever gotten in trouble and you didn't know why, you know, in your marriage, right? I mean, I, my hand is up and my other hand is up, right? And you're like, I'm sorry, but I don't know why, you know, <laughs> help me if we're handling it in a humble way. And, you know, our wives want us to understand them. Our wives want us to know them and, and, and to know their needs and to know their makeup. One of the things I love about my wife, Karen, uh, and she's, she's wonderful. And, and one of the ways that she's wonderful is she gets really excited about things and she really loves special things and she's great about holidays and birthdays and all that kind of stuff. And so she just kind of makes life fun and celebrates life. And I was really attracted to that. But early in our marriage, I think she looked at me and she, <laughs> she thought, he need, he's going to need help with this. <laughs> so our first Easter as a married couple, she actually gave me a list of everything that she wanted in her Easter basket. I mean, it was items and like the number of items, the eggs, the chocolates, what kind of chocolates and the jelly beans. And, and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> And then I realized this is really important to her and she didn't want me to blow it. So I was like, okay, amen. But that sort of opened my eyes to, I want her to know that I know her. And so I need to study her. I need to get to know her tastes, her, her vulnerabilities, her humor, you know, her, her strengths, her weaknesses, the things that make her her. What makes her tick? And so really for us, we all need to be studying our wives. And, 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 and that never ends. You know, so for you guys that are in your first year, get going. And for, for us that are over 20 years, keep going, right? Because sometimes it's a little bit of a moving target. And we need to stay in that learning mode. So let's talk about then these four. I'm going to talk about four core needs are that match our four core concerns and the first one is companionship the first one is companionship now this goes back a few years but how many saw that uh, movie up raise your hand okay most of us now let's get open how many of us like the movie up right okay now we're going to get vulnerable how many cries i have my hand up on all three <laughs> So it's a really cool movie. Most of us saw it and know it. You know, it's one of these Pixar movies and it's the husband and wife and they meet when they're really young as kids. In fact, they both have these great ideas of of living life to the full and adventure, which to them meant travel. And they had this kind of particular goal and to do it in a crazy way. And then life happened, right? And, and, you know, there were, you know, the financial challenges and health challenges. And so you kind of go through and they start going through the scrapbook of their lives. And they had all these dreams of things they were going to go out and do. But some of the realities and some of the things that kind of hit them, they didn't get to go do their big dream. Right. And so then she gets ill and passes away and the scrapbook as they're going through sort of shows those scenes. And for the husband, he thought he was so sad because he thought like there was this unfulfilled you know, adventure that they had signed up for together. And then one of the point in the movies 
where I cried was then he realized maybe the wind blew the page over or something that she had continued to add pictures that their book of adventure that they had started and thought it meant going to South America on this grand adventure she had filled the pages with pictures of their relationship and of their shared times together and all these different times and places and it's, it still makes me emotional because that was the shared adventure. She was being together. It was sharing the journey together wherever that went. Companionship. Being together. Sharing in the journey. So we're built differently. And as guys, we tend to, you know, be the hunters and gatherers. And we think, you know, those adventures are the goings and the doings. And sometimes they are, but our wives tend to think more in terms of being, whereas we tend to think more in terms of doing. And so our wives do want to do great things for God and do things together, and Aaron hit some great thoughts on that. So amen, let's not undersell that. But for them, a lot of the value is just in doing it together, in being together. And so at a practical level, like for me, something that took me a little while to learn is like, I just need to do things that she likes to do just so we can be together. And she does things that I like to do so that we can be together, right? So when I bought two mountain bikes for our anniversary and said, honey, guess what we're gonna do on our honeymoon? Like she was a good sport and we went to Nova Scotia and did all this mountain biking. Well, I learned it from that. <laughs> okay, we started doing more being things and, and, and trying to do a better balance there. But she was such a great sport and we still do some great adventures like things that I like to do and she enjoys. But she does things that I don't, you know, I don't really like going shopping. You know, like that's like the nail on the chalkboard kind of experience for me. But I've learned just to be, just to be with her, we'll go together. And I know in each store where the couch is, where the chair is, where, you know, and sometimes there's another husband there. And so, you know, I'll find another place, but I'll find my place, but I'll go with her and we'll just, because we're going to be together, you know, just to be together. You know, the cooking and the shopping, it's not stuff I really enjoy doing, but I've learned, you know, she grew up with a father who did a lot of that. And so that's kind of a love language for her. And so I've learned, like, let's do that together. Like, especially when we have company, I sort of have this mindset of divide and conquer. Let's be efficient. I'll do these jobs, you do these jobs, and we'll get the whole job done. And that's my way of thinking about it. But for her, she feels much stronger if I'm there with her, if we're doing things together. So I had to kind of change my approach because it's more important that we be together and she feels much more encouraged and then she's much more like at peace as people come in, right? So those are just sort of some shifts and changes that we've really both made. That's companionship. The second core need for our wives is security. Security. You know, I went. I, I remember one time um, we woke up in the morning and my wife went and opened the door and realized it was unlocked. And typically, you know, every night I lock the doors and, and it's kind of a, like just a mindless thing for me. But, I, you know, I'd forgotten that night. But I will never forget what she said to me. She said, you didn't lock the door last night. I said, yeah, oh, sorry. And she said, I count on you for that. Oh, wow. 
She didn't see it, say it in like a mean way, but I understood it at a much deeper level than I understood it before. She counts on me to protect the family. That's what she was saying. And that was just one expression of it. And I was like, okay, message received. Our wives want to feel safe and secure. And obviously all of us need to connect to God in that. And Aaron, you know, sort of started there. It all starts with our coming from God, our connection under Christ. And, and so we need to submit and gather there first. But we do have a role in our leadership role. One thing is to ensure that security as much as we can. Spiritual security. Our wives want to feel spiritually secure. And so that means as husbands, exercising spiritual leadership, not letting the wives, because maybe they're more naturally sort of the one who's going to have spiritual conversations or want to pray. Husbands, we've got to lead the way in that. Spiritually secure means we're, we're in our Bibles. We're praying we're, with our kids. We're the one who says we're going to have a family devotional. We're the ones who says we're going to get to church early. We're the ones who says we're going to make sure that we're relationally connected with other Christians so that our lives are getting help and there's transparency. We as the husbands are making sure those things are in place in our lives. And that gives our wives such spiritual security. Financially secure. I mean, just taking care of business. You know, sometimes we go do different things. I've been laid off probably three times. Some things are out of our control, but it's like, it's our every effort. We are gonna make sure that we're employed. We're gonna make sure that we're making enough, you know, not to, you know, buy the world, but make sure we have the needs taken care of. They look to us to lead the way, not just be the only one involved, but to lead the way in that area and make sure we're getting help. Some of us are better at others with budgeting and finances. If that's an area of weakness, well, we have great resources in the church. We have classes. I know we offer financial peace in Nova, other churches. Get the help you need if you need that. And then emotionally secure. They want to feel emotionally safe. You know, and I was somebody early in our marriage that, that I would kind of be sort of steady and quiet and whatever, but then at the wrong times, like if you pushed me enough, if I felt pushed enough by the kids or life or whatever, I could get really upset and show my anger. Bible calls that fits of rage. And what that does is it breaks that feeling of emotional security. And so we really need to make sure that we're self-controlled and alert as the Bible says, and that we're, uh, we're, we're creating an environment in our relationships, in our homes, where it's safe for them. And it's safe for our kids to be themselves. That's security. Then there's significance. And again, our sense of significance first is tied to God. But yes, even in our marriages, we play a role. So think about like how men, how do we sort of sometimes get validated? You know, sometimes it's from going out and doing our job. Sometimes it's from going out and even just doing the yard, you know. It's like, I got that thing done and it looks good, you know. And sometimes it can be more challenging for our wives because some of their roles with our kids especially, it's not like you can just get this report card that says you've done your job and you know well done, good and faithful servant. It's kind of this constant thing, this constant engagement, this relational thing, and they tend to be more relational. And so there can sometimes be sort of a search for validation. 
a search for I'm doing it well. And so on earth, in this life, the single most validating voice for our wives is us as husbands. Proverbs 31, um, Aaron referenced as it's sort of this classic verse for women and for the Proverbs 31 wife, but did you know there's a Proverbs 31 husband? There is. Proverbs 31, 31 verse 30 and 31 says, Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. That's the Proverbs 31 husband. That we should be lifting up our wives, building her up. Yes, face to face. Yes, privately. You're beautiful. You're awesome. You're special. I treasure you. You did awesome with that. A lot of that private building up, but also public building up at the city gate with your friends, your shared friends in the church, building her up in the community for how awesome she is. Let's have that voice. And then the last need is emotional responsiveness. We could call it emotional availability. Guys, as we're doers, we tend to lock in on what we're doing. And sometimes I can be that way at home where I'm sort of locked in on what I'm thinking about, locked in on what I'm doing, locked in and what I'm trying to get done. And then all of a sudden, like, I look up and I have a family. <laughs> I look up and I have a wife. And so for me, it's a constant battle to make sure I make myself emotionally available, which sometimes means just shut it down, shut down the phone, shut down the laptop, shut down, you know, the, the brain center that's running on three or four different lists and just be in the moment and just be available and just be here. And guess what happens when we do that? We do start seeing things and noticing things and drawing things out. And we start fulfilling that role that we have as servant leaders with our wives. Companionship, security, significance, and emotional responsiveness. These are our core roles as husbands to meet our core needs for our wives. Aaron will come up and close us out. Amen. So uh, good stuff, Brian. So to, to close this out here, we wanted to uh, just really give you guys an opportunity to a ask questions or have a little bit of a Q&A here. So I'll actually invite Brian back up here because he has um, 20 plus years uh, of answers um, to, to my 12, but um, <laughs> 20 plus years of repentance. So just wanted to open up here for some, uh, some questions. So yeah, Maurice. So the question is, um, any pointers on family devotionals? How to, is that what it was? Yeah, how to handle that. It's like, pointing on how to do that. It's like family devotionals. How old are, they, are your kids? Four. You have one kid who's four? Yeah. Okay. Nice. Uh, keep it short. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to, okay, so in, in an effort to become all things to all men, we think about that in different ways. If we want to go out, we want to reach out to people playing sports, we're going to go out to the basketball court, we're going to play. Uh, well, it's the same thing with reaching out to our kids. We got to relate to their level. And it's our job as, as a teacher to break your lessons down so that they can be absorbed by whoever you're teaching. And that's going to change depending on the age. So for a four-year-old, there's only so much they're going to understand, you know, but what's going to get them excited about the Bible? I mean, our, our family devotionals are, you know, 15, minute, 15 minutes, you know, singing a couple Kingdom Kids songs. Um, we'll, we'll make turn scriptures into games. Um, we talked about different emotions. And we made a game where we had to act out different emotions and then read a scripture about expressing emotions. Um, so, but turning things into games, having fun, uh, these are things that the kids understand. Or stories where the storm's going on and you got the blanket over them and, you know, shaking it and it's like, ah, you know, walking on water. There's things like that help kids to remember. And then what you notice as you do that on their level is they'll get excited about those times. And my kids remember uh, the story about Zacchaeus and climbing over the couch, you know, the couch being the tree. Like they remember those things because it was put in their their context. So if you want to add. To well, that. I just appreciate asking the question. So that's awesome. And, and you have great resources even around you and in the church. To you know, So I just want to uh, say thanks for that. And, and let's keep asking those questions to each other because we can really help each other. Okay, so there's a Dutch Jacoby book. Yeah, there's a whole book table out there, too, that you probably find some. I know Tom and Lloyd Ziegler did a whole, like, 50... Uh, we use books. those a lot, actually. Yeah. So right. some great resources out at the book table as well. So, Any other, particularly marriage-related? I'd like to say that uh, I just praise God that me and my wife have been married 30 years. Come on, bro. Come on. I got my, my son fell away, So the question is um, really how to operate your marriage at a different stage because now you're at the stage of, you know, where you're in retirement and yeah. that the kids are out of the house and there's a different dynamic there. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, let me try to take a shot at that and we get to some more questions too. He wanted to defer to the older guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it is like a brand new stage of, of, of life and you sort of realize how much you were like partnering with this whole parenting thing and how much that was really core to kind of how you ran your lives. So for those that are still in that stage, Again, just the more that you can just really build, build, build what you have, then you have more to carry forward as you get into empty nester. Um, I, I kind of go back to what Aaron shared before, the whole idea of staying active, staying engaged, staying in the game. Like you have so much to give after 30 years. You've learned so much. There's so many people that could use what you have. 
And so, and what you've learned down those, that journey. And so any ways that you can kind of engage with the church, maybe in new ways, dynamic ways, be available, kind of turn yourself in. We have more time. Uh, there's a Caleb Core class that may or may not already signed up for that kind of gives some more direction around, you know, this whole generation that we're growing into now as a church. So I'd encourage you maybe to take advantage of those resources too. Okay, so front row, you were here like early, early, so we, you get to ask a question. <laughs> so my question is a bit more relational. Um, between my wife and I, uh, the short version I try to make this, I'm the, I'm the extrovert, she's the introvert. Within our church, basically all of her friends, you know, moved away, married, you know how that, how that happens when you've been around for a while. The challenge that, uh, one of the challenges that I feel that we kind of face is that um, there's also trust issues and security issues there. Um, so sometimes it can be challenging because our church is also small to make sure that we are staying connected outside of church, of, of church, you know, so dates or things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my question <coughs> is, in what way or ways can I or we continue to foster relationships the denim to that, you know, yes, I thought through, okay, you know, we need to have dates and I need to kind of schedule them. But then the, the trick to that is sometimes you may not feel as comfortable with this with this person. Yeah, it's yeah. like, we, we got to grow, but we can't be with, with the same people. So, you know, so that's, that's really my question. How do we grow our relations, if, if we will, with folks that could potentially, that my, my, wife, my wife may not always be as secure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so this will probably this will be the last question, just you know, for sake of time, and we'll 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 uh, move on from here. But I just want to emphasize again, these are kinds of questions. Take advantage of what we have here, the fellowship, the day that we have, the breaks that we have. Back when our own churches, we have great resources, and I think sometimes as guys, we're just not bringing this kind of stuff up enough. Uh, enough. And so when we, you know, it kind of takes a conference to get us talking, but let's keep the talking going. So yeah. I would say that we have a similar dynamic. My wife and I have very different personalities. And so we tend to get along with different types of people, I, you know, and we've kind of figured out in the way that like in the body, you know, there's differences and we're just kind of learning like, okay, you just connect, you just decide to connect in one relationship. I might be more the natural friend. In another relationship, she might be more the natural friend. If there's a feeling of unsafe, well, that's not where we probably want to invest. But if it's just different, maybe that's a way that we stretch and grow, too. You know. So that's the short answer. We're just going to have to leave it there for the sake of time. Thanks for your time, guys. It's been great to be together.